Welcome to my studio. I am Cole McCallum, the aspiring architect, and this is RPG Blueprints. Welcome to another episode of RPG Blueprints. This week, I've got my friend and roommate, Deshaun, uh, here to talk about Fire Emblem. Uh, so, hi. Hi. And thanks for coming. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here today. Um, Deshaun actually made me appreciate Fire Emblem before I knew him. I actually really didn't like the game. I tried it out and thought it just wasn't for me, but he sort of showed me a different side of it, a way to appreciate it. And it's actually really great because um, it's a role-playing game that is a tactical game played on a grid, much like you can approach D&D. So it's kind of the perfect um, first episode of my franchise flavor episodes. Yay! Uh, yeah, so uh, why do you like Fire Emblem so much? Um, for a multitude of reasons. Um, primarily, I enjoy the... Uh... I'm not a very soloist type of gamer. I'm not big on like Dark Souls or any of those kind of things. I like a cast. I like uh, a palette of many, many flavors and tastes uh, and, and, and different things like that in order to comfortably feel like I'm enjoying a full story. I find that mm -hmm. if I'm playing a game and it's a full world that I'm experiencing, but I'm only experiencing it from one point of view, I enjoy it less. So Fire Emblem over the course of different series and time and et cetera, has been able to create um, a franchise that I feel has a very good variety of like point of views when they tell a story in gaming. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Yeah. Very much like playing Dungeons and Dragons. You, you very rarely will have a, so, like a solo play of Dungeons and Dragons, although I know it does happen. Exactly. But more than more than uh more often than not, you do have a full party. Um and just like in D D, you have to think about stuff like party composition and, and builds and stuff like that, right? Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Mm. A big part for me also that I like it all the reason why I um enjoy Fire Emblem a lot is definitely the building of the characters, the classes, the weapons, um, team functionality, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm hmm So, um, what was the first game that you played in the series? The very first game that I played in the series was Path of Radiance, which was uh, Smash Bros. character Ike. Mm -hmm. It's where his game is from, his first game. He has two games in the series. is another one, a sequel on the Wii. Uh, but yeah, it was my first experience with the game. It was really different because I didn't play a lot of like tactical rpgs prior to i had only had a history of final fantasy tactics and then i was never a final fantasy kid so i messed up a lot of those ones and i played tales of symphonia but that was more like action rpgs it was very similar mm -hmm. elements but i wasn't really tested tactfully as much and i found that playing um path of radiance was really nice because 
I felt like instead of being given a certain amount of people and that was it, you were given, you're constantly kind of flooded with options and personalities and people and like kind of where you make your kind of ragtag group that you could carry on on chapters or act on, on full missions. So that kind of aspect for me also was, yeah. Mm -hmm. really, and really... and you get a sort of interesting um, aspect of if these characters die, they're gone. Yeah. Which is Permadeath. also something that happens in D&D. &D. Yeah. And then you have to bring in a new character to replace them. Exactly. No. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, uh, a lot of good crossover. And actually, something that Deshaun and I did um, before sitting down to record today is we um, we actually talked about different ways that you could bring some of the flavor of the games into uh, into playing d and d. like some of the some of the things that you can either replicate. Um, just with the rules, as uh, Wizards has given us, or um, some homebrew stuff that yeah. we that we kind of brainstormed to get together. Um, so, yeah, what uh, what about the classes? Let let's just talk about the classes for, for a sure. bit. Something that you like. What are some of your favorite classes? Um, as of recent years, I've enjoyed the sniper a lot. In the past, a lot of snipers were more focused on doing a lot of damage from um from a distance but not optimally being like a characters that would more so finish battles they would more so finish off or like or start mm -hmm. it um but over the course of years they've made um or the more recent additions especially in fire Emblem three houses they've made archers more viable as mm -hmm. just soloists on their own they're able to double more consistently kill more which makes them um a little more interesting than always having the sword guy or the big guy with the axe in the forefront um i do enjoy a lot any classes that focuses on crit personally for me because mm -hmm. a the animations are always fun um b i find that like it a it cuts down on time because crits obviously do uh some depending on the game either two times damage or three times damage um mm -hmm. as you would for regular strike and that's always fun for you know, finishing up stuff, completionists, etc. So I like uh, berserkers, which are usually axe based, or sword masters that are sword based um, uh, classes. So yeah, cool. So we've got uh, some things uh, that you talked about that you could find mm -hmm. uh, just kind of normally in D and D. Yes, you've got snipers, which you could either represent as fighters that use bows, or rangers that that deal with um, with bows sort of naturally yeah. uh and then you got like a lot of a lot of these classes seem you seem to be able to um to replicate with fighters which is interesting because i feel like people give fighters a bit of a bad rap of being a boring class but my personal thought is that if you put um if you put your creativity to into anything you can make something unique yeah. um and and i think it's really interesting that you talked about the crit animations because that's um, something that you as a player or a DM can really put into it, uh, just the way you describe your actions. If you if you just have an anime mindset in the way you describe what your character does, you're naturally going to bring some of that Fire Emblem flavor into your gameplay. Definitely, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, I also like uh, Wyvern Knights are cool. They are usually on 
wyverns and or dragons depends on the game etc and they mm -hmm. usually wield an axe or a lance and they're good for like terrain coverage on maps and they're solid strikers they're also sometimes sometimes they're weak to bows sometimes they're weak to lightning magic so it's not like they're just completely broken they have their gate as well what they stick in um mm -hmm. i also enjoy dancers um dancers have a tendency to have a very unique thing where they're completely not offensive they're usually more based in dodging um attacks and then their primary focus is revitalizing or uh regenerating more energy and or rallying your teammates so mm -hmm. giving your turn giving your uh castmate or um roster member a extra turn from action which is always right. really helpful for something tactical right awesome so uh with the wyvern knights um one of one of the newest uh books that came out fizzvin's treasury of dragons we're actually going to talk about it a little bit later mm -hmm. um but that is something that now uh wizards gave us a way to sort of replicate dragon riders um and uh dancers is actually something that we sort of found uh, a nice uh gap in uh in in what's available for us to to brainstorm and fill so do you want to talk about the dancer bard subclass that we uh, we put together, brainstorm together? Absolutely, it'll be a good time. Let's do it. Okay, so um, dancers as a bard, I think fits really well because uh, dancers are the uh, support class in yes. Fire Emblem. Also, in some iterations of Fire Emblem, more in the Game Boy Advance era, some dancers were actually just straight up bards. So there weren't actually dancer classes. Sometimes they were just bards that had the same abilities and stuff as dancers, but they were just called bards and they used oh, instruments. <laughs> so yeah, there you go. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we kind of took um the bardic inspiration mm -hmm. that that all bards get, and we fit that um that sort of turn regeneration uh into it. Mm -hmm. So um. At third level, we gave them a feature called Revitalizing Dance. So you can use uh, one use of your Bardic Inspiration to choose any creature within five feet of you to make an immediate action. And then if that action is an attack or ability check, they may roll your Bardic Inspiration die and add the result to their roll. So that's pretty. That's more or less how it goes. This The D&D version that we created does give them a like a boost to it. But um, uh, in Fire Emblem, it works a little bit differently, right? Yeah. Um, in Fire Emblem, they have they have stats similar to D&D, obviously. And with uh, Revitalizing Dance, normally base dance is just to give the extra turn for the character. But Revitalizing Dance will also give bonus stats towards them, depending. So usually it'll be like something simple, like two speed, an extra skill point, or, mm. or two strength, or two magic, depending on the game, the the way that it's operating, the medium that it's working in, the series. But yeah, usually Revitalizing Dance is the extra boost there. Right. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so the next feature that we gave our College of Dance bards is Graceful Inspiration. So uh, whenever you use the Revitalizing Dance feature, you gain a bonus to your your AC equal to your Charisma modifier until the beginning of your next turn. And so that represents something about the dancer. They're, uh, they have high dodge, right? Yes. Um, most cases, 
depending on the game, they were either naturally, if the stat is a dodge, because sometimes dodge is based in skill, sometimes dodge is based in luck, because so they'll change the format depending on the game. They'll usually have a high percentage of growth for that character, for the dancer, for them naturally. But in some games, they'll have just straight up skills that'll be like 20% more avoid or 20% more avoid if wielding a sword, which is usually the based weapon for a dancer. Right. Um... And then the other half of Graceful Inspiration is when another creature rolls your Bardic Inspiration die, they gain an AC, AC bonus equal to the roll's value until the start of their next turn. And like you were saying, mm -hmm. um, that's also something that dancers have where they're yeah. able to boost um, their allies by some some amount. Yeah, while dancing, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. So that was the sixth level um, uh, feature. And then the final... Uh, the final feature, which is the 14th level feature. Yes. So the final feature for the College of Dance Bard, is, we call it Special Dance. Yep. And whenever you target a creature with Revitalizing Dance, your target adds your Charisma modifier to their AC saving throws and damage rolls until the start of their next turn. That's just sort of a, a further... Uh, pushing that concept further of temporarily boosting your allies through definitely dance, right? absolutely um yeah yeah that's that's a that's our first way of of uh bringing something in yeah um from fire emblem that D, &D kind of lacks uh although if you really if you don't want to go with something totally homebrew mm -hmm. it is possible um to just have have um your bard in general Mm -hmm. Have their thing be dance, yep, and and all their abilities can be dance. You can do it just like that, but to to make it a little more like Fire Emblem, you can maybe look at this. Yeah, uh, something that I should mention. Um, I'm actually I've got a document that I'm gonna share in the show notes and uh, on Twitter. Um, and uh, anyone listening to this can go and look at this and uh, and see see what we've done. If you want to reference it and use it in your own games, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, uh, one of the bi biggest things about Fire Emblem is not only the mechanics of the game, but also like the story and characters, right? Yes. Um, the story and characters, I'd say, especially in the next in the in the recent years, have been on the forefront. I've noticed in early age, it's been like, yeah, one to one knights and soldiers kind of thing, and they'll have mm -hmm. characters with personality. But now they're realizing, oh, we can make these characters' personality drive the story, drive your choices, drive the feeling, drive like your headcanon thoughts about how you think they'd go into battles, what kind of classes they'd be, that kind of stuff. And that's kind of cool because that might be sort of um, a gaming cultural shift overall because that's very much what's happened with D&D. &D. If you look at 1st edition versus 5th edition, um, characters uh, and the role-playing mm -hmm. has uh, taken much more of, uh, of a front seat. Um, yeah, so... Yep. Uh, talk about what you like about Fire Emblem characters. Like, well, what? Who are some of your favorites? Um, so my favorite Fire Emblem characters would include uh probably Cordelia from Fire Emblem Awakening. She was a Pegasus Knight, which just means she rode a Pegasus. She had a spear slash lance, and she tore it up. And I enjoyed her a lot because I find that her personality. A, we have the same birthday, and that was like 
fun. <laughs> and um, B, she's a member of the Knights, and she's very loyal, dutiful. She has this whole thing of being like kind of a perfectionist. She's considered to be mm -hmm. a genius and flawless, and yet she's like incredibly shy. And a lot of her personality things involve like her having this unrequited unrequited feelings for Crom. And her like, okay. and her girl bestie Sumia is the other Pegasus Knight in the game, and Sumia and Krom are very much like canonized. Like they have like cutscenes together oh, and stuff. That's and it's tragic. Very... Yeah, it's tragic. But I find it very amusing because it's like a lot of her support conversations is like her being caught off guard or people being caught off guard from her. And I I I, I like enjoy mm. that aspect of a female character in an anime game or a JRPG because then I find it's mm -hmm. more than just like a it's, it's it's not as sexualized it's not as like bimboified it's like she's smart and that's not the problem she just like misses a couple social cues and she doesn't speak her mind which is like right. cute and then um in that very game in awakening it's for the 3ds um they have a parent and child uh hierarchy so there's this whole time space thing where you can eventually get the children of the cast members once they like get married and mm -hmm. she has a canon daughter named Servira. Severa. And Severa is really interesting because her whole thing is being bar none, 100% uh, Sundere. And she's a class that's not really in use as much anymore. Or well, sometimes. But a girl named Mercenary, which is... Just, just one second for anyone that might not know that term. Do you want to explain it? Which term? Sorry, my apologies. Sundere? Oh, Sundere. <laughs> um, her whole thing is playing up her being miserable and disinterested and stuff and like acting negatively towards like positive reinforcement or like being very competitive um and i enjoy her a lot because she's such a difference from her mother because her mother was more a perfectionist and good and everything so she wasn't as competitive um and yet her daughter feels the need to like kind of have the opposite effect so seeing their mm. seeing their effects um as mother daughter and their conversations and their conversations with other people it's just very amusing to see even the fact of like her base class is a mercenary which is um infantry with a sword like it's pretty much the equivalent of a fighter uh in D, &D i believe um mm -hmm. and her mother rides a pegasi so it's like she does things out of spite she doesn't do the same weapon because her mother as, as her mother like very yeah different. yeah yeah and it's amusing like a lot of good contrast yes there. exactly um yeah. and she was an incredibly popular character to the point where in um the following game fates which technically takes place in a different space time she's technically still in the game pretending to be someone else <laughs> it's a whole complicated thing but from the basis of it it's like this everything's about dragons and this dragon in a human form came to her and two other people from awakening of the children units and was like hey this world needs help we need you to come here and so there's this thing where you play awakening and then you play fates and like this character who has the same pigtails the same color hair has a very like the exact vibe you spent months being like i don't know what's going on there and then eventually through dlc they confirm it so that's fun mm. it's like, like she was yeah yeah it was so one one thing that i'm hearing is that if you want to bring some fire emblem flavor into your D, D games just have portals to other dimensions yep. and pull characters maybe from previous games and have them make little cameos oh yeah definitely <laughs> as long as you include a dragon a space time a door portal some type of draconic thing you're good to go you're good to go <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
how would we include the titular fire emblem so the fire emblem itself is different things in different games so it really just depends the original uh in the original first fire emblem game um with marth the fire emblem was actually the shield that he had and it had different jewels in it that had different powers kind of like the infinity gauntlet just think of the like an infinity gauntlet with like a shield um okay and so that's what the original fire emblem was and then in some games it's in three houses the fire emblem is technically what your crest is called which is right because they have sort of these like ingrained in their body magical powers yes they are i mean spoilers ahead (laughs) um they are technically the bloodline of like these alien dragon creatures because everything's always about dragons and so their mm-hmm. like descendants inherited these specific bloodlines that give them right. a boost in power and your main character has the fire emblem crest right so okay. sometimes fire emblem is a physical thing sometimes fire emblem is a passive thing sometimes fire emblem is just a concept so it varies from game to so. game so make sure your game has some sort of high power MacGuffin. Yes, and then name it the yeah, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Uh, awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so well, we're talking about characters. We're talking about three houses. So why not talk about um the character that we actually built as an example of bringing a character directly into D and D? Absolutely. Um. The character we chose today is the wonderful Claude Von Regan from The Three Houses. He is the leader of the Golden Deer, and his whole personality trait is being kind of... He's a cunning strategist, so a big thing from him is knowing the truth about situations and knowing how to operate. A lot of people find that shifty, and a lot of people in the game talk about it being shifty. It kind of... Going into the game before I saw it and before you know all the trailers and everything, I thought that maybe he might be a secret villain or an option villain for a route because the mm-hmm. way they use his character, they kind of at a times almost make him a red herring, right? Because they purposely use terms like shifty or they they make comments on it on his on the way that he handles things and his history and his bloodline and the fact that he kind of just appeared at the academy one day and like not a lot is known about the von regan so it's kind of shifty that a von regan would be leading an entire um region or an entire countryside not well help running because they live more of an, a communist state than the imperialism of the other two mm-hmm. but um yeah would be running the golden deer alliance without much history being known people find that immediately off-putting and i enjoyed it a lot because i feel like it gives more to a character it gives more for the character to see especially if there's someone who's like a truth seeker they're not going to be interested in the face value they're going to be asked the questions beyond and a lot of his support conversations there is kind of a narrative where a character might be asking one thing and then he kind of asks the other thing and then the, the and then character a might be like oh like confused or standoffish or or maybe they'll question it too and then later on in the following support you can see kind of the thought process of how Claude kind of pushes things and leads because his his way of leading is not necessarily as 
as um, dramatic or as imperial as the other two um, leaders. His leading is more conversational. It's more thought process. It's more based on like thinking beyond and pushing yourself in those kind of aspects, which I enjoy a lot because I find like that's where the best story building, especially in JRPGs and stuff is because having the underlayer, having the hidden, having that kind of stuff builds that world of fantasy, which is really great. So having a character who questions the hidden is always good to have around, at least in my opinion. Oh. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and for anyone that doesn't know, um, the support conversations are kind of like those moments where um, the DM steps back and the two player characters are just RPing to themselves. And there's some character development that goes between them. Uh, and so you get a lot of these great moments just between two characters and you learn something, something about them, about the way they view things, about like just some hidden like backstory stuff. Sure. Um, so, so those are cool moments in, in three houses. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's, let's talk about, uh, some of the choices we made for the way we built him and, and why starting with, we didn't make him human. We made him half elf. Yes. And so that that represents something about him in Three Houses, right? Yes, it represents the fact that he's technically half Almiron, which is a country to the east of where the main game takes place, um, because his mother was a uh, heiress of the Von Regans, and she fell in love with an Almiron prince and ran away together, mm -hmm. and so. A lot of the history, when you learn about Claude and stuff, is people of uh, the blue the blue lions or the black eagles kind of questioning Claude more so through like, oh, I knew this woman when I was younger at like dinners and stuff, and one day she disappeared and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of those kind of conversations when involving Claude and his family. So a lot of his uh, character arc is about being half Almiron. And it's not always on the forefront, which I like a lot. It's more so he references it and like, there is a thing you can do while you're tutoring because you operate as a professor in the game. Uh, mm -hmm. You have to think of it kind of like if you were having your own Hogwarts house type of thing. And there's a, a certain periods in the game where sometimes characters will come up to you and ask you things about their interests, something to help them with their motivation, or even something to help them steer in the line of where they see themselves class-wise. And Claude mm -hmm. has a thing about wanting to um, involve himself with a wyvern or be on a wyvern night or be a wyvern rider because of his heritage that he had growing up. And although the game doesn't full out say it, something of that kind of reminiscence does kind of bridge the personal over the tactical like kind of class system because before it's just this mm -hmm. character's this because this weapon works for them now it's more so this character's this because of their history or how they feel and i enjoy when i enjoy the fact that claude has that richness to his character in that depth yeah and actually i think this is something that i talked about back in the first series with elizabeth about um when you're creating characters and you're thinking well i'm making i'm making like a a halfling bard and you want to know well, why did they become a bard? Yep. And when you look at Xanathar's Guide and the This Is Your Life section, there are questions specifically focused on why did you become this thing? So Fire Emblem actually like has this really cool way of, of doing exactly that. Yeah. And, and because of that, what we ended up, since it's kind of canon that he is this Dragon Rider class, mm -hmm. which we alluded to earlier... Yep. Um, he's actually the new ranger subclass, um, the the Draken yes, Ward. Yes, Draken Ward. Mm -hmm. 
So um, I guess the way we built him, we built him level five. So mm -hmm. not like completely new, but not super overpowered. So I guess um, in in three houses, there's a time skip. So you could consider this like pre time skip. Yep. Because he doesn't have all of his all of his end game powers, but he he's still pretty confident. Yes. Um. So, uh, you also uh kind of were talking about his background as being this noble character. Yes. Uh, and that's that's what we decided on him for a background. Yeah. It just sort of makes sense. Yeah. Um. A big thing about his nobility is because of his that it's from a maternal place, but he was raised by a paternal setting. It does this thing where he steps into his maternal setting and instead of trying to be hoity-toity or like embrace it, he more so questions it or like plays around with it. Like he'll purposely prank the more serious characters to get them to let loose a little bit or he will um, kind of make fun of things and sometimes it doesn't translate to certain characters as anything more than him being aloof or not interested or that kind of stuff but in reality he's really also assessing each character their wants they're willing he's trying to make sure that like the people in his gordon deer alliance are like taken care of and like that kind of stuff so i think that's really cool mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and actually um what's cool about the backgrounds is that um when you're looking at the bonds and flaws and all that um it gives you quite uh quite a few different um ways to approach the same background yeah. so some of the things um just to to note that uh just fit really well so skill proficiencies that come with uh the noble background are history and persuasion and those are both things that fit him perfectly perfectly we don't have to make any sort of change no, right it 100 percent fits him yeah um and one thing they get a gaming uh set proficiency mm -hmm. And so we chose Dragon Chess because there's actually something in the game about how he plays chess, right? Yes. Um, yeah, he's very quite tactful. So in that way, definitely. Mm -hmm. um, uh, a bunch of the different um, choices we made for him gave him a ton of different languages, mm -hmm. which um, may or may not fully make sense because yes. maybe he doesn't know six different yeah. languages in game canonically, yes. but it does speak to sort of him um, being of uh, of another world, like yeah. of a, a different land and knowing like yes. different different cultures. Yeah. Also, in Fire Emblem, they don't really they don't really discuss more than one language, obviously, but in the context of in his endings, a lot of his endings involve him going to the country east of where his father's country is. So it's a lot of traveling mm -hmm. and learning new things, and he seems very open about history and that kind of stuff. So although Fire Emblem itself doesn't discuss languages, I imagine if language was a thing in that context that he would definitely have an interest in and uh, use that to his benefit. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So the standard personality traits, um, we did choose one of them for him because it fits pretty well. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, despite my noble birth, I do not place myself above other folk. We all have the same blood. And that's just perfect, yeah, right? It is perfect because a lot of, in the Black Eagles and the Blue Lions, when I talked about earlier with crests, like how in Three Houses, the Fire Emblem itself is the main character's crest, which is the, a passive bloodline ability, etc. Um, in the Blue Lions and the Black Eagles, they both are 
classes that more so specifically lose crests to, as hierarchies of what's better. People often look for people with crests for mating or, or child purposes or anything of that sort. Um, and Claude is very much one of the characters who's very basis is not having any importance in the crest he doesn't really care that he has one he thinks it's like a cool thing from his mom he doesn't take it seriously he doesn't really care about treating his classmates who don't have crests or don't have noble lineage with any level of respect less than he's more interested in like getting rid of that entire concept in the first place so yeah mm -hmm. perfect um and that perfectly flows into the ideal that we picked for him um which is respect um and uh so it reads respect is due to me because of my position but all people regardless of station deserve to be treated with dignity yes i completely agree um yep and that is a good ideal as they say um for his um oh my god what's the word <laughs> Uh, ideal for his uh, his personality, his uh, which being. We're, yeah, his good good fits his uh, alignment perfectly. Yeah. Um, and we actually decided he would be neutral good because he doesn't always um stick to um you know the way things the way things are yes. like a certain specific code. Um, he cares more about um helping people. Uh, yeah. as you can. Yeah, he dislikes the whole blind faith in gods thing he's more so interested in relying on the strength of men the strength of his followers and his allies and that kind of stuff right yeah. um when it came to bonds and flaws we didn't actually pick uh the ones in the book because they didn't really fit him mm -hmm. So what we ended up coming up with uh, for a bond, we said, I work unerringly to secure the liberation of all people, because that's a big part of his storyline. Yeah, it is. And his flaw is, I will, I never approach a problem head on if I can help it. Yeah, definitely. Um, it speaks to the fact that in-game he's an archer. It speaks to the fact of his personality. It speaks to him having a very... Um, easygoing, relaxed, almost disinterested to some people's viewpoint foreground, while also having such a tactful thought process in the background of his mind. So mm -hmm. it plays to a lot of that, definitely. I'm sure I'm sure a good way to play him uh, in game would to be maybe acting dumb and just asking questions and just to pull yes. a lot of information out of people. Or making or, or even making a joke at the person as making a joke in the way of getting information. Mm hmm. Right. Maybe like gaslighting someone for the sake of getting the right info or like, like he's very much that energy of like, he seems like an asshole, but in reality, he's trying to do the right thing or he's doing the right thing. Yeah. He's just not interested in showing it off in a heroic way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, one of the only other things, uh, from the background that's worth pointing out is that, um, you get a signet ring. Um, that's just one of the little bits of equipment that you get from this background. Um, and that's yep. a cool thing to sort of flavor as the crest. So the yeah. crest of Regan is, is like, can be represented by the signet ring. It's not necessarily something you can lose because it's a part of you, but it is kind of represented in, uh, in D and D there. Exactly. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, so let's just talk about um, how we uh, chose his stats. So yes. uh, we wanted to do things sort of as standard as possible, like by the book um, that we could. So we chose a standard array 
Um, so that's fitting um, the six different numbers into the stats, 8, 10, 12, 13, 14, and 15. So the 15, the highest stat that we had, um, we put it in dexterity, um, and that represents he has good damage. Dexterity is going to be good for his um, uh, finesse weapons and his yep. bows. Uh, so that represents damage, but it also represents like a good defense, a good dodge, which is also something he gets as a a, yes. um, a dragon rider. Yes. Um, yes. Other things to note: we put um, his charisma pretty high. That's his second highest, mm -hmm. and that um, speaks mostly to his um, his whole demeanor. Like he has a good way with words, and he's very charming. Um, and then the lowest stat I'm going to point out um, was a strength of eight. Um, and the only reason we did that is not so much that he's weak, because it's represented in his dexterity that he does do good yep. damage. But there's some stuff in the game about him not necessarily being super athletic. Yes. Um, uh, he's not good at climbing trees, lol. Um, he also, like... Again, a part of his whole thing is not handling things head on, which again is in his flaws, um, and is relevant. Um, and he also, as a lord, having like lord characters primarily in games are your protagonists, or etc. Um, except when they're not, which in the mm -hmm. recent years I haven't been because we've had stuff like Byleth and Corin and Robin, which are like characters in Smash. If you know, if you guys play Smash out there, um, probably. Um, but he, yeah, he's only as a base 40 of strength and usually for a Lord, they at least have 45, if not higher, because they're going to be on your forefront and in like 90% of your matches. So for non, uh, Fire Emblem people that, what that is, is you're talking about the growths, right? Yes. So, so, so basically I... the, at base, there is a 40% chance to gain strength on level up. So yes. if like... You know, if it's fifty percent or higher, that's a pretty high chance, right? If and mm -hmm. so that's what he's talking about. Yes. But no, yeah, his strength is forty, it could be higher. It's still solid. It's not thirty percent. Mm -hmm. But still gets the job done. And also he usually has like a buttload of defense and not defense, dexterity and speed and that kind of stuff to alleviate any of those issues. Right, but the 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 thing about the difference between um D and D and Fire Emblem is that like there's only one physical damage uh stat in Fire Emblem, which yes. is strength. Um, but the but his when you're playing this character, you're, you if you use finesse weapons and ranged weapons, you're you're only using your dexterity. So the strength at eight is less about taking the stats in Fire Emblem and directly porting them over and instead using the difference in uh, in the mechanics of the games to um, show something about the character. Um, so that's, that's why we ended up coming to that choice. Um, yeah. Yeah. So now looking at uh, the choices that we made for... Um, for him class wise um you, we don't really have to go to it's kind of an obvious choice now that there's a dragon riding class that yes. we're going to put him in that he uh rangers are a natural fit for using bows which is his specialty mm -hmm. 
Um, and uh, some of the replacement features that showed up in um, Tasha's Cauldron, I believe, um, are um, we chose Deft Explorer instead of Natural Explorer because um, this is more about his uh, ability in himself and less about him having like natural knowledge of land and and that sort of thing because that mm -hmm. doesn't fit as much mm -hmm. as well as um taking favored foe over favored enemy because the game doesn't really have him you know having uh, a natural affinity for killing goblins or killing dragons like that's not really his thing no. uh and so favored foe is an optional feature that um that again is just more about um uh focusing on on taking down a, a foe and, and being uh good in the moment rather than uh than having a natural affinity for killing something exactly so with the depth explorer thing this is again what i was referencing earlier uh, at first level, you get uh, Canny, mm -hmm. uh, which lets you gain uh, expertise. You double your proficiency bonus for one of um, one of your uh, skills that you have um, proficiency in. And so yeah. we chose Persuasion. Yeah. And that represents just, again, he's uh, a real sweet talker, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then we also, it also lets him, uh, speak two additional languages. Again, we just chose more of like, um, languages that might represent sort of like malign, disenfranchised, like groups of people because yep. that's this whole thing. So yep. we chose, uh, Orca Gnomish. Mm-hmm. Um... And then what other choices did we make? For his proficiencies um, at first level, uh, we also gave him animal handling, insight, and perception. Mm -hmm. um, why do we choose insight? I think that's an interesting one. Um, I think we chose insight because of his knowledge, his thirst for knowledge, and his awareness because of his thirst, that he's more interested in the the in between the lines than just the surface so, level. So he um, doesn't necessarily take what people say at face value, and yeah. he really like thinks about what people are saying. Yes. Yeah. That. Yeah. That's definitely a good fit. Actually. While I'm here, perception versus insight. Like, for instance, no, as an example, if you're building mm -hmm. a character like this, what would help a character different? Uh, what would help a person differentiate something like this? A character who operates on a more sidelining, conversationalist type of knowledge base, how would you mark them perception versus insight? Well, perception is using your senses, like using mm -hmm. your physical senses, your mm -hmm. sight, taste sound like all that and mm -hmm. and how aware of things you are insight yeah. is more like it's more of a it more of a social skill it's a it, it, they're both um they're both wisdom but yeah it's like a different way of applying it so insight is um is picking up on like social cues mm -hmm. it's it's seeing through lies whereas like perception does like you're being good at like seeing far away things or like yeah. having good hearing isn't necessarily going to 
clue you in that the way someone said something, you know, like they raised their voice, like you heard them raise their voice in a certain way. That's like, Ooh, that, that says something like maybe they're lying, but, but, um, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense for sure. Yeah. Um, at first level, sorry, at second level, you also get a, a fighting style and this didn't take much thought archery because that's his, uh, that's his focus. Oh, um, at third level, when you make him a Drake Warden, um, he gets uh, a feature Tongue of Dragon Dragons. You learn to speak, read, and write Draconic or one other language of your choice. We kept yep. it Draconic because why not? He's going to have a little dragon friend. Might yep. as well speak with it if you can. Put the one to the other. Absolutely. Um, and then one other choice that you make um, is what kind of a dragon it is, which doesn't fully um matter in um in fire emblem terms no. because the the dragon is purely a mount yeah um but one thing that is determined is that he rides a white dragon so um white dragons are cold in in D D. so that that's the choice that we made for sure um the other choices that we made um I thought it would be cool um, at fourth level um, because mm -hmm. he's a fifth level character. So at fourth level, instead of an ability score increase to give him the feat mounted combatant, which yep. just um, further proves his, um, his okay. mastery of yep. dragon riding. Definitely. Which uh, just a little note, if you were to sort of take this build that we made and, and, um, and play it um, that uh, right off the bat, you don't necessarily uh, have a, uh, a dragon that you can ride and fly um that's something that you have to wait until 15th level to be able to um to fly on good um, to know so yeah just uh but that also kind of goes with the progression of fire emblem right because yep. you're not you don't at low levels fly on a dragon right yeah exactly um the game will start off certain games uh wyvern riding is usually something that you'll see mid too late game but usually like mid when you start seeing wyvern riders when you start to get to the mid game before in other games where they were just one class per character and they were locked into what they were they just wouldn't give you a wyvern rider until later on right you just wouldn't see one you wouldn't like make friends with a dude you wouldn't run into the girl blah blah now in especially in three houses and it works from like an academy kind of perspective where they're learning and mastering things they just have to learn it so mm -hmm. it increases the capability of um, pushing into mid to late game because for let's say in, in, in difference like cavalry units they can learn riding at level 10 and so from level 10 on they just like let's say the game operates from usually till about level 40s when you finish so from you start the game you're at level 5 you train certain units they get to level 10 you put them on a horse they've been training they've been learning the books they've been doing the studies etc they get that even if you're learning flying there's not a class like wyvern riding is unlockable until level 20 so that person even if they're going to be flying they're usually on the ground for a while anyways so that's right. kind of where that kind of training comes from and that space of like not jumping from one to the other until fourth level yeah so that progression kind of fits perfectly with how D D works so that's yes, great for sure 
Um, so the only other choice that we really had to make for him is that as a ranger, you do have um, access to spells. And unlike some classes like uh, Cleric <laughs> and um, and Druid, uh, you don't have uh, access to the whole spell list. You do have mm-hmm. to specifically pin down some uh, some spells. Yes. So we chose for first level spells, uh, Fog Cloud and Hail of Thorns. Yes. Um, and Fog Cloud sort of speaks to his um, his indirect nature, mm-hmm. uh, setting up sort of traps, cover, like that sort of thing. And Hail of Thorns is... Um, uh, there's actually a cool thing um, that is represented uh, with the battalions, right? Because it's yes. very similar to one of the battalion skills in, in Three Houses. Yes. Um, um, the battalion feature is actually called uh, Ashes and Dust. It rains down an area of effect arrows from flyers, and it's effective against flyers, and it ranges from like two to three range. Right, and the the way Hail of Thorns work is that you make a ranged attack uh, against a creature, and um, and sort of it becomes an area in five feet around yes. your target, so yeah. it's pretty much perfectly represented. Yeah. Also, if you do ever use the notes and you guys are over comfortable or feel like creating this character, and maybe you want to use more magic in his canon, if you actually train him in reason magic which is what pretty much the essential black magic elemental magic is he actually specifically only learns the wind magic he learns the full set of it but he only learns wind magic so mm. anything of that kind of that flavoring still kind of fits him so the fog kind of works because that's like an air of wind the rain of arrows yeah. works because he's archer so any of that kind of creativity anything blowing wind and that kind of stuff plus he's in the air because he's on a wyvern so yeah feel yeah, free to good. use those two that's here. a good note yeah <clears throat> Um, and then we gave him two second level spells. Uh, one was Cordon of Arrows, which is basically you're making a little trap. Yep. You're setting up a trap, and then when that's triggered, uh, then it then it uh, automatically uh, attacks. Yeah. Uh, something. Um, so again, we're just sort of playing on the the indirect, like sneaky uh sort of vibe and then we give him pass without trace which is like a very like standard uh spell Mm -hmm. i think probably most people would pick that up because it's just giving uh giving you and your friends uh a bonus to stealth checks which again indirect sneaky yep fits the vibe oh yeah uh yeah so um I'm going to have this, this is actually going to be a part of the full, the full PDF. And then I'm going to have like the character sheets, like separately accessible. For sure. Um, so yeah, if you want to check that out, go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not all uh, that we did. There's actually um, something very iconic about the, the series is the different weapons that you get. Yes. And Three Houses has something, like, specific about that, where um, each character, uh, each crest, has a very special weapon, right? So, um, like I mentioned earlier, how in Three Houses, they have this thing about having dragons slash aliens. They're pretty much beings from outer space, but they're draconic in nature. So it's Mm -hmm. like, they're alien dragons, pretty much. The alien dragons uh, got comfortable on Earth thousands of years ago, or hundreds of years ago, and began to mate, which created the crests. And so, but at the time there was a war, and a lot of the original crest bearers were sacrificed, 
and you find out that the weapons are technically the bones of their the draconic rep representatives of the each class and so they have what's called relic weapons which are boned looking like bone crafted based um, draconic bone weapons that have magical abilities and powers based on the user and the properties of the relics are specific to where if someone who doesn't have the representative crest uses it it, it will poison them and or turn them into a giant monster if you have a crest but it's not matching it'll just act as if, an, if it's a regular weapon it won't have any special categories it also won't cause a deficit to you but if you have the matching crest and, and the matching weapon you get um additional bonuses with that mm. so so uh the reagan crest weapon is called fail not and it's yes. a bow so that's something that if we were going to create Claude, we couldn't just not create this weapon. Yes. Um, so that is, we made a legendary longbow. And I'm just going to read um, our little blurb about what we did with it. So mm -hmm. to attune to this bow, you must possess the Crest of Regan. Anyone that uses this weapon while not attuned takes 1d10 non-preventable damage for each attack made. Uh, you gain a plus 3 bonus to attack and damage rolls with this magic weapon. The type of damage dealt changes to Radiant. So why do we choose that? Um, because <clears throat> his... It's in only like I think a few animations. Um, and also his fighting animation. The bow actually, the arrows shot from the bow are either energy based or they're not specific, but they have a type of flavoring slash cosmetic to them, where they kind of give a um, a flaming or like a bright, a bright sun radiant based effect on them mm -hmm. for like bonus damage or etc. So yeah, or yeah. effect even. Awesome. Uh, and then we gave it the feature Fallen Star. Um, this longbow has five charges. While attuned to it, you can expend one charge and make a ranged weapon attack with the bow, launching a particularly powerful bolt of radiant damage. The, the attack gains advantage against dragons, uh, 1d8 damage, and when the skill is used, uh, gain a plus 15 to AC until the start of your next turn. The bow regains 1d4 plus 1 expended charges daily at dawn. So that's a lot going on, um, mm -hmm. but we pretty much took, uh, we made a skill uh, which is represented by uh, um, a skill in-game mm -hmm. called Fallen Star, right? Yes. Um, I'm trying to find Fallen Star now to give the specific, hold on. So there are these um, these weapon skills. That's what they're called. Right? Combat weapon arts. Skills? Combat arts. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there are combat arts in the game, um, which are just sort of these um, super powerful skills. Um, something different about how Fire Emblem works versus D&D &D is that um, all, all weapons have durability, um, and these combat arts sort of... Um, take up extra durability meaning you can use them less so that's why we went with um, a certain number of charges yes um because it was divisible by the amount of durability that the weapon it's based on has um but fallen star is effective it's effective damage against dragon units it avoids all attacks the character will avoid all attacks during the next round of combat 
Right. And so the only reason why I I suggested we do just a plus 15 to AC instead is because just straight up giving invulnerability is like crazy strong. Almost nothing gets that. So like a plus 15 will essentially like achieve that. You will pretty much, pretty dodge, much dodge any attack. Yeah. Um, but it still gives like a small window, um, just to not be completely overpowered. Pretty much, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we just gave it a damage boost because it does also get get a straight up damage boost as well. Uh, and then advantage against dragons. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um. So yeah, take that. Show maybe show this to your DM if you want to play Claude and say, please, please <laughs> let me let me get this weapon in game. And then there you go. You've got you've got Claude pretty perfectly represented. Yes. If I do say so myself, I also agree. Um, and then the the last thing that we talked about because again the the weapons are pretty iconic. Um, I mean, some of them actually made it. We've been talking about Smash Bros a lot because Fire Emblem and Smash Bros are pretty Close. intrinsically linked at this point. Yes. There's like what eight eight characters or something yep. or more. Um, so what was it? What was the the crit sword that that's oh, in Smash Bros? Um, Killing Edge is an item in Smash Bros. Yes. Right, mm -hmm. so so it's it's cool to see. Um, uh, since we're talking about like bringing Fire Emblem into D anD D, it is interesting to see how um, they took uh, like turn based RPG mechanics and represented them in like a like real time party fighter aspect. Exactly. So, um, Killing Edge is a sword that just has an unnaturally higher crit chance. Um, I mean, if you were to represent a D and D, you can do basically what fighters have and say this this uh, weapon has a chance to crit on like a seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, as well as a twenty. Yeah. Um, in in Smash Bros, it has like a small weapon, uh, uh, sorry, a small window where it's glowing and it does extra damage. Um, so mm -hmm. like that's really iconic. Uh, and something else that uh that we chose to represent is brave weapons. Yes. Um, the way that Brave Weapons operates is um, the wielder is will usually will be emboldened and will attack twice when initiating combat. Right. So um, there's a, um, a feature in the game that a lot of classes get, which mm -hmm. is the, the extra attack feature. Mm -hmm. So um, my personal rule of thumb is when, like, doing homebrew stuff is to try not to step on anyone's toes For don't sure. don't sort of like like replace or like completely take over a feature that's already represented so so what we said um brave weapons can be represented by pretty much any weapon in the game mm -hmm. so uh these are rare weapons any type of weapon when you use your action to take the attack action with this weapon you may attack twice instead of once Oh, okay. If you have the extra attack feature from a class, you may make an attack in addition to those granted by that feature. So um, fighters end up having like four or five attacks at the end, and then you're going to get another one. Some classes only get one additional attack, and yep. so it's a way for them to get three on a turn. Um, but decided, like, because that's a very, like, 
strong ability yep. not to like overpower these weapons and give them like ridiculous boosts on their own. For sure. Um, so yeah, just another another way to sprinkle a little of that Fire Emblem flavor. Get that in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's the uh, content that we came up with. Um, that you can you can check out if you're if you're interested. Um, sure. Deshaun, is there anything else that you want to say about uh, Fire Emblem that you think might be particularly like something uh, that people can take away uh, to bring into D anD? Um, I definitely think that when taking a series like Fire Emblem and bringing it into D anD, D seeing a result like this makes it a lot more possible that you can take characters from other RPGs or JRPGs or action RPGs or any other type of RPG and see that you can actually translate it with a little bit of time and and thought process and headcanon and kind of as long as you have a character you can work with. Yeah, because sometimes we fall in love with um, characters in video games or shows or movies or whatever, um, but those stories are contained, they end, and we want yep. more. And maybe you're not the kind of person that writes fanfic, but you do play role-playing games. <laughs> um, if everyone in your group is down, why not Why not do this and give them a, a little more life? Definitely. Yeah, awesome. Well, uh, I just want to say thanks again for taking the time to uh, to brainstorm with me and uh, record with me. Sure, thank you so much for having me here. It was lovely. Yeah, and I'm sure yeah. we'll have you on again. Awesome. Uh, you you got Looking a lot of uh, franchises that that you uh, are pretty much an expert in. So thank look you. forward to those conversations for sure. Same. Awesome. Well, thanks everyone for listening, and uh, look forward to the next episode. I'll have a good time out there. Before you go, I'd like to thank James Roach for the awesome job on the podcast themes. You can check out what he's up to by following him on Twitter at Hamesatron. You can follow RPG Blueprints at RPGBP on Twitter. I'd also like to thank you for listening. And remember the words of the author Joseph Chilton Pierce. To live a creative life, we must lose our fear of being wrong. <laughs>